0: Oh, good morning. Do you, uh, do you know why Christians make better plastic surgeons? It's because they're the best at giving a faith lift. <laughs> Try harder next week. I did see that on a sign, though, after I put it in here. After I put it in here. Three fourths of the people are gone already. They heard the preacher's bad joke. That's our cue to leave. Like to excuse, of course, our little ones through fifth grade to children's church, and for the rest of us, I'd like to share a couple of short stories, uh, not from my pastoral ministry, but from uh, pastoral ministries I've read. Before we jump into chapter three of Romans, there won't be any more plastic surgery jokes—at least in this sermon, promise. But if it's in here, I have to say it. So, But uh, one minister shares the story of a, a young woman who, as folks sometimes do, waited to talk to him after worship service was over one Sunday. After a few brief remarks, she began asking several thoughtful questions about the Christian faith. It seems this young woman didn't feel like she was a, quote, good enough Christian. She said she didn't think she read the Bible enough, nor did she pray enough, nor did she live the way she thought that she should. You could hear, he writes, the ache in her voice. You could see the angst in her eyes. She didn't consider herself making the grade. Do we struggle in the faith with feelings of inadequacy? Sure we do. Sure we do. But there's a cold, hard truth that Paul the Apostle has for us in the third chapter of Romans we're going to talk about today as we continue our Roman through Roman sermon series. And you know, at face value, when we first come to this, we think, well, this doesn't sound too promising, but let's talk through it today. See, Paul actually says we're all inadequate and nobody is good enough. That doesn't sound very good at first. But let me explain. Nobody's good enough for God. Chapter 3, verse 10 says this, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Doesn't sound like good news today, does it? But think about it. I've done this myself, so maybe there are some others that are guilty of this. I don't know. I think uh, different people from different churches probably all over are guilty of this sin. Sometimes we like to come in, we like to look around the church building perhaps. We like to play games, comparative games in our minds. Do you ever feel as though you're being compared or you're making comparisons of other people? Trying to see who's holier than another? Seeing this Sunday, which Christians are more Christian-y than other Christians? Have the right ties on, you know? Categorize other people mentally. Do we do this? Sometimes maybe we do. We talked about this last week. We've talked about this in this series. We might think, aren't they just the model family? Doesn't she stick out like one of God's angels? Isn't he a great talent to have in our church and Man, isn't that guy just a hero among us? These thoughts can creep into our minds in the church. By the way, thank you for that last one. No. Paul says this. It's not easy. Not easy to hear. The assessment of humankind. Verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Ugh. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. Yuck. The way of peace they've not known. Verse 17. Verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Well, I'm not sure that's much of an improvement of thoughts to have about each other, is it? But Paul is saying these words to the Romans, to the church at Rome, to the believers. He's leaving off where he did last week in the text. He's driving home the point that, hey, unrighteousness is unrighteousness. This is just the reality of the situation. And when we walk in the doors of the church building, yeah, we like to we like to make some uh, assessments in our minds. We like to group people into corners. sometimes we like to uh, look around the room and and Say, well, these are the obvious chosen ones. They've got the right ties on or the right hats. These are the weakest links. Goodbye. Remember that TV show? Man, hey, preacher, you should have thrown that out of here. That's like 2002. Well, these people, they haven't been coming to church long enough. We can't get them in a group. We've got to give them time to show off their righteousness. I think we, we sometimes decide in our minds we, we do this. Who's good enough? Who's worthy of God's favor? Paul writes in verse 19, Now we know that the law says it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Sounds like God's shutting me up a little bit. He says, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That's humbling. If you've ever come, I'm not saying this place, but just into any church building. Any group of God's people, if you've ever come into a church building, you've worried that you're not good enough. Maybe we've been listening to the wrong mouths running. These folks aren't good enough for God. You're not good enough for God either. Someone has said the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We we need to remember that. We all need to remember that because we're all plagued by sin. Each one of us struggles constantly with sin no matter where we are. This can cut us away from this place too if we're not carefully, if we don't remember this. Here's a second story I promised you. Another author in ministry writes this. Many years ago, I was meeting with a Christian man who was struggling in his marriage. He was trying to justify leaving his wife. I met with him for several months. Sometimes he truly uh, wanted to make the marriage work, other times he just wanted out. At a moment of great insight, he asked me why I was still willing to meet with him. And I responded, as long as you're on again, off again, I'm glad to meet with you. We're all tempted to sin, but if you make a decision to leave your marriage, then the relationship changes. He writes, predictably, Once he left his wife, he didn't want to meet with me. Sin will affect our relationships with God and with others. It's going to happen, the decisions we make. But the Christian life, here's what we want to remember, the Christian life doesn't separate former sinners from sinners. That's why it's so painful to see folks leave the church, to disappear from among us in this manner. It's so painful. You know, there's one popular teaching in the church. It's unfortunate. It comes from some megachurch uh, preachers who like to say, I'm not a sinner anymore. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. We hear that on our TV from time to time. It's as if the people that inhabit the pews shouldn't be mixed with the people who don't come to the church worship anymore. But that's not what the Word of God says. Word of God doesn't say that. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 verse 7 But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory why am i still being condemned as a sinner and why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just This is kind of what happens when we leave when we give up when we say life circumstances tell me well this just isn't working this Christianity thing, these expectations. So I'm just going to do the best I can. What does it matter? We get discouraged, don't we? We get discouraged by sin. We get to separating people by the way we perceive their goodness. We get to thinking, well, if I can't keep up with the saints, I'll just rely on myself again. Sadly, when the going gets tough for too many of us in the church, we start to fall back, not on God. But the self we play these comparative games don't we the church is full of them but only the righteousness of god only the righteousness of god makes the difference that's what we want to learn this morning that's what we want to take with us paul says you cannot go back to your old ways and expect them to work out or your old ways adapted for a new life it's not going to keep you going You know, you can stay with the church, you can leave the church, either way you're still going to sin, but in the church you can rely on God's righteousness. It's not about you trying to be good enough anymore in this world, amen? That's the difference. So we've got to do something about this mindset, about this I'm good enough for God problem, or that I can be good enough for God problem. Because it's a problem for the church it's a problem for our spiritual growth and it's a problem when it comes to alienating the very people who need to hear the word who need to grow who need to be reassured that Jesus Christ makes us all good enough that's the difference it's a humble attitude that we need to see that we need to exhibit from the pews There's a story told of two men sitting next to each other on an airplane. One of them says to the other, somebody around here's deodorant isn't working. (laughs) The other man replies, well, it's not my deodorant. I'm not wearing any. (laughs) The recipients of Paul's letter, Jew and Gentile at the Church of Rome, They had a difficult believing that it was their own people who really did stink before the throne of God. Here's a biblical expression for you. Stinks to high heaven? You've heard of that? Well, we all stink to high heaven. I don't care how many times we've we've sat in the pews, how many Bible verses we can quote. In verse 9, when Paul says, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. He's using this word sin. It's the first of 50 times he's going to use it in the book of Romans. One commentator writes, Paul's saying there's not a single person apart from the cross, apart from God's justifying grace, who stands as right before God. That doesn't mean we're going to uh, automatically feel guilty for our sins. This word under uh, for under sin, it's actually a military word. It's, it's implying that as people, we're going to automatically be subservient or answering to sin. And Christ, we're commanded to love God with all of our being, to love our neighbors ourselves. That's Matthew 22, 37 and 39. What's the greatest commandment? Second is just as like it. But as someone notes, as we so often see in the church, as we so often see when people up and leave the church, What does sin do? It sabotages both. It sabotages both relationships. Nobody's good enough. We've got to get over ourselves in the church. We've got to get over ourselves. Paul writes in verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, Paul experienced, and he knew really well to the heart, what Jesus uh, saw before Paul, Matthew chapter 23. If those Jewish believers trusted in themselves in the church, if they uh, took held stock in their quote unquote goodness, they wouldn't be able to trust in Jesus Christ. They had to get over themselves. The purpose of giving the Jewish nation all that law, the Old Testament, books of uh, Moses, Moses and the prophets. This was a demonstration to them how desperate they were as God's people for God, wasn't it? That was the lesson here. And so Paul goes on to say, verse 21 But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Well, who's he talking about? Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. Verse 22 the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what makes a difference for us. That cross. So think back with me again. A text I read earlier, or if you've got uh, your Bible open, a look at it. I won't jump to it up there, but verses 13 to 18 there in chapter 3, all those descriptors I was going through and kind of making faces about Describing us about our tongues and and whatnot. If you heard that text we started with today, verses 10 to 18, if you read those descriptors about humankind and you thought, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. I don't know how to be like that. You might check your deodorant from time to time. I know I do. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's good enough. This should actually be a sigh of relief, though, a sigh of relief to some of us, especially if we're not believers, to those of us who haven't responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, because there's no cleaning up possible or necessary before you come in these church doors. It's not going to happen. And it's not required. If you're a penitent sinner, meaning you're convicted of your sins before God, if you're sorry for those things, but you haven't confessed Jesus as Savior, you haven't been baptized into him as a Christian, what are you waiting for? I was no good at all. I stunk to high heaven. And then I accepted God's gift of salvation. Paul writes in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now that that big word, propitiation, it means appeasement. You might say a means to make good with. So I might still be a little stinky, But at least I look a little better before God. The Bible speaks of baptism as the point in which those sins of yours are washed away. Every sin you've committed, also every sin you will commit. You're still going to make them, but it takes them away. It's a beautiful thought. Baptism's that moment. Scripture tells us many times, don't believe anyone that tells you otherwise. Acts 2.39, Acts 22.16, 1 Peter 3.21 is a big one. This is the moment in which you're justified before God in that cross. So if you haven't taken that bath into Christ's death and resurrection, what keeps you from getting into that water? What holds you back? Someone might think, well, I'm just not ready to make that commitment. I got to get myself all cleaned up, looking better, before I come back to God. Second Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the hour. Do it before you sin one more time. Because what's the only difference between a Christian and a non-believer? The Christian is justified before God of those sins. Justified before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 26, and Paul says this It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Justifier. So nobody's good enough. Nobody's good enough. Not the unrighteous, not the self righteous. But here's the thing everybody has the opportunity right now, before Christ returns, to be faithful to the one who makes us good enough in his righteousness. That's the gospel. This is it. This is like preacher's greatest hits up here when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the gospel. But here's the thing. If you've already responded to that, to the gospel, if you've already made that decision to follow Jesus in obedience, if you've already made the journey through Christian baptism, that's not the end. Because remember, nobody's good enough. The whole world will be held accountable to God, verse 19. So what does this mean? Well, it means we can easily get off track. It means it's still possible for me to be disobedient. This is whether I warm up you for a couple hours on Sunday morning or not, right? It's still possible. Here's a kind of a switch in uh, subject matter, but I'm going to get back to it. Are you familiar this morning with the name Daniel Boone? Show of hands, who's heard of Daniel Boone? A few of you out there need to get a history book, but most of you. Most most of you have heard of uh, Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone was considered one of the first so-called folk heroes of the United States. He wore a variety of hats. Uh, Boone was a businessman. Uh, He was a politician. He was a soldier as well. Uh, History uh, buffs might like to know that, I'm going to try to pronounce this, during the Battle of the Monongahela, which took place at the beginning of the French and Indian War in 1755. uh, Full disclosure, I cheated. I used the Internet, so I didn't have a history book either. But Boone nearly escaped death during an Indian attack here, 1755. 1755. This was kind of cool boone was a wagoner along with his cousin daniel morgan uh morgan was later a key general in the american revolution so here's some big veterans names the day before veterans day right kind of cool when it comes to american history if if you haven't uh, recently read anything about daniel boone you should there's some fascinating stories there's some interesting folklore i'm sure probably a few legends Out of all of his exploits, Daniel Boone is perhaps most famous for his exploration and settlement of what is now Kentucky. Daniel Boone would venture into the Kentucky and the Tennessee wilderness. He'd wander over vast areas of uncharted area. He'd live off the land. He'd he'd avoid the dangers of the wild. Uh, I know we got some people here that like hunting. Daniel Boone would take extended expeditions over months at a time. He'd collect hundreds of deer skins. I won't say he caught them. (laughs) He collected them. When asked directly if Boone had, over the course of his many adventures, ever been lost, he responded, no, then added, I can't say as ever I was lost, but I was bewildered once for three days. Not just like a hunter. (laughs) Maybe we laugh and say, well, it hardly matters that Daniel Boone was too proud to admit he got lost on his journey. But in the church, it matters if we get lost on our journey. In the church, it matters. It may have been a matter of pride for this folk legend to admit that that he wasn't perfect. But he was good enough. But what about us? Would you say the same about yourself? Too often, we, we look at sin, we shrug our shoulders, we say, I know I'm not perfect. Sure, I I do bad things every now and again, but but I'm a good person. I just do bad things. If pressed from the pews, we might say, "Well, well, sure, I've got my faults, but doesn't everybody? I've never killed anyone. I'm not a terrorist. I'm basically a good person. I just do bad things. That makes me a good kind of sinner. Author Stephen Cole writes: Some sinners, the religious sinners, are the most difficult to reach. They faithfully attend church, they they, they give money to the church. There's a stained glass window with the plaque commemorating their generous gift to the church. They serve on the church board and their family's been a mainstay in the church for many generations. But nobody's good enough. The world says, you're good enough, just do you. That's a, Have you heard that expression? I've been hearing that lately. It's bewildering. Just do you, you do you, and it'll be okay. This thinking is spilled over culturally into the church and it, and it makes it difficult for us to sort this out. In the 1950s, author Norman Vincent uh, Pale began to build an empire around his book The Power of Positive Thinking. More recently, uh, Joel Osteen is following in his footsteps. Some like-minded preachers in their pulpits might skip over what we're discussing this morning. They, they may not want to uh, p- uh, touch Romans, especially chapter 3 with a 10-foot pole. It's not positive thinking. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't tickle your ears. Christianity in the 21st century, why not have it be about success, success, success? Make yourself healthy, wealthy, close to God. Just keep pushing and plugging and improving yourself and keep trying to be good enough. We'll never get there. We can't get there. It's not up to us to get there. Paul writes this. He says this to the church. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So the path to glory starts not with positive thinking, but repentance. And that's a whole lot of negative. That's a whole lot of negative. That's a whole lot of the one topic nobody wants to hear. Probably fewer want to preach. But you know, if we can find clarity in the acceptance, if we can accept this, that nobody's good enough, maybe uh, we won't be encouraged only at the start of the journey behind Jesus, but maybe we can also be encouraged after we've been at his beck and call for a while. Everybody needs faithfulness. But there is one idea we need to keep in mind. We don't want to lose sight of this morning. We in the church are no, we're not any better than anyone else because we're forgiven. But one thing is for sure we're certainly better off in the long run, amen? We're certainly better off. We get to come in. It's a joy and a pleasure, and it's edifying. We get to come in and spend time in corporate worship, uh, meeting the first day of the week. We break, uh, break bread and we have fellowship with one another. I said, break bread. That's kind of like breaking bread if, if you're a muppet. Break bread and have fellowship with one another. This is scriptural. We, we get to, it's a joy, it's a pleasure to be involved in Bible studies and group and personal prayer meetings and, and all these are means and ways by which the Spirit works in us and we do grow in the faith. We see the difference. Belonging to Christ does give us a decided advantage over those who don't know Him. And So we might say, no, we're not good enough as Christians, but you know what we are? We're justified anyway. Amen. We're justified anyway. Realizing we're not good enough, but justified anyway makes a difference because it's not just this hospital of sinners called the church where we minister. It is here, but we're also among those people of this world who don't realize that they are too spiritually sick. They too are spiritually sick, and they need a healing from Jesus. Amen? Being accountable to God, as Paul says in verse 19. This is the way in which we bring in new patients. The way in which we bring them in. The gates of hell will not overcome us. The statistics show that Christians are leading lives that make a difference among non-Christians. You don't just want to look uh, through the Word and see it. We can even see it in the world around us. One preacher cites a study done about nine years ago by the University of Chicago found that those who attended church weekly and took part in other religious activities performed an average of, I thought this was cool, 128 acts of kindness a year versus 96 acts by people who never attend church. I I know that's a lightweight statistic, not a lot of heavy theology there, but even uh, at face value, could it be God's righteousness does appear among the faithful? The Pew Research Center finds that highly religious adults tend to be more engaged with family, more likely to volunteer to help others, and happier individuals overall, with 74% of those who identify as Christian quote, satisfied with family life. Over 60% of those not Christian. I wonder why that is. wonder why that is. 2 Peter 1 uh, verse 3 says that his, his is God's divine power, has granted to us, the church, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. That's an incredible scripture. Peter going on to say, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I don't want to sound prosperity gospel, but this is quite a promise. The same God that calls us to himself and that convicts us when we stray from him, also, God's word says, will supply us with all we need for living. All we really need once we have a relationship with him. That's incredible. That's incredible. The sustenance we're promised. God makes us good enough in him. He makes us good enough in him. And that makes sense. Makes sense that it requires that relationship. My wife has set up an account with uh, this service called Direct TV for a set number of TV channels. Right now she's thinking, oh, where is he going? But I can call anytime I want to try to add channels to our programming plan. But here's what's interesting about it. Uh, Unless... Becky uh, gives the okay because she set the account up. I won't be adding anything to the TV lineup. It's not going to happen. I don't have an account number. I don't have the clearance. I don't have her permission to tack on another $100 worth of cheesy 1950 sci-fi movies. <laughs> Unless she gets on the line. Just saying, well, I'm the husband isn't good enough. I have to actually physically prove to them, is, you know, is Rebecca Root available? I've got the knowledge of her who grants to me all things that pertain to TV billing at the parsonage. <laughs> That's a stretch, but I think it worked. But the same is true with every decision I'm going to make in Jesus. You're truly not good enough to get by without God. I think sometimes we think we are. I think sometimes we think we're justified in decisions we make without God. Why? I found this interesting. If you have children who will be leaving high school soon, you may want to take notice of this statistic. I I thought it was kind of incredible. Uh, One recent study reported by westernjournal.com surveyed 795 college men. This was at a public university. It revealed that college girls overall considered themselves, quote, safer with men who identified as Christian. Surprise, surprise. These men, quote, were less likely to be sexually promiscuous, less likely to pressure others into relations, and were less likely to be consumed by pornography. Also, men with a religious affiliation tended to drink less alcohol, which has been linked to to increased aggressive and violent behavior, including sexual behavior. Now, of course, there can be exceptions in the church. This is why the God of Jews and Gentiles, verse 29, must remain at the forefront of our lives, must be the reason, the drive for what we do. We dare not spend a season or semester without his direction. Just this week, Christian comedian uh, John Crist has offered a public confession to engaging in what he calls reckless behavior that, quote, violated his own Christian beliefs, convictions, and values. He's pictured up here. If you're not uh, familiar with uh, the man as an entertainer, uh, he spoofs Christian practices. He causes believers to reflect on their own insecurities, their own contradictions, He's fantastic at it. He's communed, uh, communicated scriptural truths to millions of viewers via YouTube. And it's safe to say that if you've watched a funny Christian video over the last couple of years on social media, uh, John Christ was likely the star. Read some articles this week, and it's more than disappointing to learn of Chris' exploitation of his ministerial platform. Uh, that he's come forward in this confession and that there's been uh, young women come forward with stories of harassment, manipulation, sexual exploitation. One source reports the allegations include multiple women, quote, married women, women in committed relationships, all of whom, uh, and I won't go into it, but there's been inappropriate text messages, um, uh, show tickets offered in exchange for favors, and, and so on. Anyway, it's, it's been an inappropriate situation. And this is a Christian platform. And it's really a shame. I, I witnessed a stand-up routine uh, by the guy at the last North American Christian convention last year. Uh, he's a noticeably intelligent, uh, relatable vocal talent. He's a funny guy. He's since released a statement apologizing to his fans. He's he's announced the cancellation of his future tour dates to focus quote on his health, and it's no wonder he's done this. You know he's he sells out comedy clubs and churches alike. In 2018, uh, Chris was one of the top 100 touring artists in the world, secular otherwise. But now there have been a half dozen women claiming behavior from John Chris that can only contradict that of Jesus Christ. Maybe I've said too much this morning. I'm not up here to point fingers. I'm not mentioning this tragic situation from contemporary Christian culture to drag anyone down. But it's so I can look in the mirror and I can remind myself and I can remind each and every one of us, as Paul does, that none of us is above God's law. All of us will be accountable to our maker. Each and every one. Isn't that just the model family? And doesn't she, she stick out like one of God's angels? Isn't he a great talent to have in our church? And man, isn't that guy just a hero among us? Maybe we should be careful with our words. Maybe we should be careful for the way we receive words from the other people. Be careful of those pedestals that we build. We can choose to build people up by remembering it's God within us who does the good stuff, isn't it? It's God within us. I don't know about you, but I'm praying for a full restoration within the heart, if God wills it, in the public ministry of uh, Mr. Christ. Christ. I have things I've done, you've maybe had things you've done, sins we wouldn't likely splashed across, headlines, across the internet, actions that just might dissuade others from what we've found in Jesus. I'm sure of it. And so I also pray for restoration, rededication, to Jesus Christ for his church at large, regardless of where we are, regardless of where we stand in him today. All it takes is a little justification of sin in our lives. Well, this isn't so bad. This isn't hurting anyone. How quickly we can lose sight of our justification in Jesus. And that's how the devil works. That's where the devil works, with what we're doing. But thank God our faith isn't ultimately about what we're capable of doing, but what's been done for us. That's, again, the goodest news we'll ever hear, that it's all about what's been done for us. What's been done for us. We recently passed uh, October 31st. I'm going to wrap up with this this morning. Not just Halloween, but also the day in which in the year 1517, Martin Luther challenged the the Roman Catholic Church on uh, some doctrine, including the doctrine that if you were a good enough Catholic, you could maybe spend time in a place called purgatory when you passed away to work off your sins. But you could buy indulgences at a price to forgive those sins ahead of time. One author compares the church at this time to a seller of of get-out-of-purgatory-free cards. That's basically what they were. Monopoly money. Just about as useful, too. But the problem is, neither the word purgatory nor indulgences are found in Scripture. But what word is found there? Worthless. Romans 3.12. In regards to all our combined activity, what we may consider good enough for God, we find this word worthless because we'll never be, we can't be. It's not possible for us to be good enough in this life for God. We can only find our worth in him alone. And so the charge is, will you depend on he who became a nobody? He became nobody with a capital N so that you, my friend, my me made somebody for he alone is more than good enough. This is where our faith begins, and this is where it lasts forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. As we sing to you in praise, we we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you, oh God, made us. And even though we, we fell from you, although we, we said we know better, Lord, you had a plan from the very beginning, a plan to intervene, a plan to make up for where we fell and fall short. And God, I I just pray. I pray for for all of us. I pray for your church. I pray, God, that you you would encourage us. That we would neither be brought low, nor would we ride some kind of a high horse, but that we would remember, yes, we are justified but through you, through what you've done, and through what you do. Lord, I pray that you would continue to hold us close to you. Lord, that you would fill us with the strength and the courage. The baptism would only be the beginning of the journey. We would be convicted of those words that you gave the churches in in Revelation to be faithful, to be faithful until the very end. Hold fast until the very end and be saved. Lord, we know that Satan is working so hard to destroy all of us, throwing at us every scheme, whether he can foolishly bring us high or he can foolishly bring us down low. Lord, help us to stand on your word, be led by your spirit, and ultimately, Lord, remember that you make all the difference. Lord, as the psalmist wrote, you gave gave us a, a solid place to stand. You brought us out of the clay. Help us, Lord, to remember we don't want to stand anywhere else except the solid rock. God, help us to love each other, to truly love one another as, you, as you've loved us. Help us to be people who sacrifice, that, that aren't afraid to, to uh, give up everything. Lord, we spoke earlier of, of those uh, veterans, the ones that uh, were willing to give up everything if necessary for freedom as you did first. Lord, I pray that that would be the spirit that would encompass the church, that we would be inspired by the cross in our Christian walk every day. Help us, Lord, to not be bogged down by Satan, not be brought down by the world. but to remember that you have not given us a spirit of fear. I thank you, Lord, for your church. I thank you for your word. I pray that as we would go from this place, these words would stay with us. We would pray on them. We would take them to heart. And we would allow your righteousness to be a witness to the world around us. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things, amen. It all comes down to love. The love that was shown to us originally from the point of creation. The same love that every day we, we, we make a choice. We go into this world. May we be empowered by divine love. And if you haven't yet made a decision to rise, to fall, and to rise again, We invite you to come forward as we stand this invitation song, The Power of Your Love. Or if you have another public decision you'd like to make here at Ferris Church of Christ, we're going to stand and sing this invitation song. Remember, none of us are good enough. Jesus Christ has made us all to be like him in the end. Would you stand and sing?